The following message is by Pastor Andrew Beto, pastor of First Baptist Church of Orchard, Texas. More information on First Baptist Church Orchard can be found at fbcorchard.com. We're going to be reading in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 9 through 14. Chapter 6, verses 9 through 14. Go ahead and pull it up on your phones or open up your Bibles or whatever. Make your Google machine work, however you want to do it. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. The word of the Lord. God, I ask that you would be with us this morning, that you would enable us to understand what you have for us to know, that you would open your scriptures to us, speak through space and time to us, that we would know what you want us to do. In your holy name, amen. Please be seated. I um, have always had a problem with electronic communication. Those of you who have tried to call me before have experienced this. I don't do a good job of monitoring my phone or answering my phone or even returning phone calls. It's not you. Trust me, it's me. And if you, have, if you question that, the person that I love more than anybody else in this entire world is in the next building over there and she will tell you that I'm horrible about it. In fact, sometimes if I'm sitting down with you and having lunch or, or dinner and you hear my phone begin to ping with this really loud, annoying sound, it's my wife using the lost iPhone uh, app to make my phone sound. And, and she does that and I'm okay with that because I know that, that that's my limitation. Um, I've always had this problem. This is not something that's new. Uh, one of the biggest, uh, uh, reprimands I ever received when I was in the military came because of the way that I dealt with electronic communication. Um, I, my, uh, my boss, this, the colonel in charge of our unit, was putting us through this major exercise. And we had to go and do all these different things. And, um, and I routinely was not on the radio listening to what he was telling me to do. And then when I did get on the radio, let's use, say I used colorful language large amounts of inappropriate colorful language on an open net that was being reported, that was being recorded that everybody could hear, including, you know, the general and people like that. After this incident where I had said some inappropriate things, um, broadcast inappropriate things pretty much around the world, you know, just whatever, it's not a big deal. Um, my boss sat me down and said, Andrew, I love you like a brother, but if you ever do that again, I'll relieve you and you'll be pushing papers in the admin section. 
and that'll be your job for the rest of your time in the service. See, I wasn't using the appropriate language to communicate the things that I wanted to communicate. And so my message wasn't coming across. It was coming across unclear. I was not clearly articulating the things that I needed or the things that I was trying to do. And I think sometimes that we think of prayer this way. We think that there are appropriate and inappropriate words to say. And if we say inappropriate things to God, then he won't hear us. Now, now before we move on, I'm not saying use profanity with God. That's not what I'm saying here. So if, just to be clear, don't go home and be like, Pastor said I can cuss at God and it's okay. That, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that there is not a secret prayer language that enables us to come into connection with God. Now, throughout history, as human beings and as the people of God, we have attempted to create special prayer languages that will allow us to speak to God in a more effective way. We've created ritualized prayers that we think are more effective. And we talked last week about the reasons we should pray and where we should pray. And in this section here, Jesus is going to address how we should pray. What are the ways that we should pray? And, and before you sit there and tell me, well, we're Baptist, Pastor. We don't have ritualized prayer. I would say to you, really? Have you heard Baptists pray? When I grew up Episcopalian, that was one of the biggest things we made fun of Baptists about. We made fun of the Baptist headache prayer. Is this, is this better? Okay. Maybe I'll turn that off. You know, where you, where you sit down and pray and you take your glasses off and you pinch your nose like you got a migraine and be like, dear Lord, we just would like it. That's a ritualized prayer. Okay? So we all fall into the trap. Maybe you're the kind of person that does the, the just prayer. Lord, I just, just want to just say that, Lord, I just lift up and just, like, really? Do you talk like that in normal, you know? Like, I, I do it. I say hedge of protection. There is no other time that I would use the phrase hedge of protection than if I'm praying. You'll catch me. And if you hear me say hedge of protection, say, Pastor, that's a special prayer language. Seriously, don't do that. That will really embarrass me. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> we all do these things. And so Jesus is sitting down with his people, and he's trying to teach them how to pray. And the bottom line, the most important thing that he's trying to get across to them is it's not about the specific words that you use. It is about the spirit of intimacy that you create between you and your God. Christians should develop an intimate relationship with their God through prayer. That's why we pray. We pray so that we can have a relationship with our Father. I want you to think about any of the friends that you have, and I want to ask yourself, if you haven't called them in 20 years, are they really your friends? Like, I'm seriously, your best friend from high school. My, that's my BFF forever, my, you know, don't ever change, wrote down stuff in, in the yearbook. We were looking at Matt's yearbook the other day, and there was all these notes in there. Oh, you're the best, you're the sweet guy, Matt. You know, we'll be friends forever. And it's like, you haven't talked to this person in 20 years. Are you guys seriously best friends? No. Because you don't talk. Because what builds a, a friendship, what makes a relationship, is the ability to talk. It's the ability to communicate. And so Christ is trying to get his people 
to communicate with their God. He's about to purchase them the ability to come before the altar of God without any intercessor, without anybody standing between them and God. He's about to purchase that with his blood. He's saying, I'm about to purchase this. You need to communicate with God. Christians should have prayer marked by intimacy, by closeness. Our God is a personal, loving God, and he has adopted us. He has given us his name. We have earned the ability to call him Father through the blood of Christ. And we should live in constant contact with him. He he starts off by saying, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven. Now, I want to start right off the bat here and tell you, Jesus is not saying use these words. The Jews at the time of Christ and even through today have a, have a concept called a Kaddish. And a Kaddish is a, is a ritualized prayer that you say at certain circumstances, in certain times. Okay? These, this is a ritualized way of praying. You have Kaddishes at different places. And I remember Kaddishes growing up. My, my Jewish family would, would say them at Passover. They would say them at Bar Mitzvahs and Bat Mitzvahs. Uh, it, we, we said a Kaddish over the, over the grave of my aunt when she died. Okay, these are, these are prayers that are said over and over and over again that become enmeshed in the fabric of the people. And in, some inst- in, in, in a way, the Lord's Prayer is a Kaddish. It is a, it is a formalized way of addressing God. It's, it's a, 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 a format. But in another way, it's very different. Specifically because Christ is not giving them words to say. He is telling them sentiments that they should have. It's, it's like, a, like a rubric or an outline. Like, hey, if you're going to pray, this is the stuff you need to have in it. These are the things that you need to be doing. This is what prayer means. I, I want to give you the way that you should think about it is like an adopted child, right? Uh, I have several of my friends that have adopted Ethiopian children or Russian children or or Hungarian children, or Romanian children. And when they bring the child in, this is now a member of their family. They've given this child their name. They have incorporated it in in their family. But they can't speak to the child. Right? They, they, They don't know how to talk to the child. They don't know how to get the child to tell them what what it needs or what it wants. And so one of the first things that they have to do is they have to teach this child how to communicate with them. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's coming to the adopted children of God, and he's telling them how to communicate with their father. The Lord's Prayer can be recited prayerfully. We can do that. But more importantly, it should be used as an outline. The other interesting difference is that that the Lord's Prayer is very informal and and very personal in nature. Um... The Kaddish usually begins with a very high-sounding blessing. Uh, the Kaddish that I always remember them saying begins, Baruch Adonai which means, um, blessed are you, God, king of the universe. Right? That's, a, that's the way you address a king. Right? You would think that that's the way that you're supposed to address the king of the universe, blessing his name. And, and we fall into this trap ourselves. We've learned to pray the Lord's Prayer the way that it comes to us out of the King James Version. 
I was talking to Tristan about this earlier. You know, when, when, we, when we think about the Lord's Prayer, we think, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I know, I know what probably one of those words means. It sounds great. But it serves to put distance between us and God. It is formal language that we don't understand. It makes God sound like he is something so far beyond us that we can't really address him. But if you look at what Jesus is saying here, he's addressing God not as our Father who art in heaven, but as, as Abba, as Papa, as somebody who is close to him. Over and over and over again when Jesus prays, he addresses Abba Father, Daddy. Papa. And later on in the the letters that Paul would write to the different churches, he would tell them that they have been given the right to address God that way. That Christ purchased for them the ability to call God Papa. Daddy. This is the language that Christ used in the garden when he said, Papa, I can't do this. Make this cup pass from me. But because God did not make the cup pass, we have all been given the right to use that word. The result is that we can have a relationship with him. When you pray to God, it should not be with high-sounding words that mean nothing. You should cry out to your God in anguish, with broken hearts. When you cry out to God, it should not be like a priest at the front of a church speaking Latin. It should be like a guy calling his dad at 2 in the morning from jail. Papa, I've screwed up. I don't know what to do. Come and save me. God is our Father, but He is so much more than our earthly fathers. And, and, and when we cry out to God, we've got to realize that in God, we have a Father who is so much more, who, who, is, who is so much more perfect than our earthly fathers. Some, some of you have had great fathers. I had a great dad. My dad was awesome. Still is awesome. Um, and I love him. And, and my father enabled me to understand the goodness of God because of his example in my life. Some of you have bad fathers or absentee fathers or fathers who left you or fathers who were never there. And you have to move beyond that and see God for who he is. He is the father who will never leave you. The Father who is always there when you call on Him. The Father who will always come and get you no matter where you are. The Father who will never leave you in your sin. When we cry out to God, we must cry out to Him the way that He has called us to. With intimacy. Because Jesus is teaching us to develop this intimate relationship with our Father. A relationship where we can lay before Him all the desires of our heart. All of the things that are inside of us. But here's the catch. 
And, and here's one of the most important things that you should take away from this. As a Christian, the deepest desires of our heart should be for the holiness of God. The deepest desires of our heart should be for the holiness of God. Before you start ticking off the things that you need to God, God, I need a new car. God, I need a new TV. God, I need this thing over here. God, I, I, I need a new job. There are other things that we need far more than those. Prayer is not giving, is not God giving us the things that we want. It's God transforming us so that we embrace the things that he is to give us. When we pray to God, he changes us. It's not about us transforming God's will. It's about God transforming our will. And so the first thing that we have to do when we come before God is to seek his holiness and to seek his heart. The first of this model prayer, the first parts of this model prayer, there's, there's actually six petitions here. There's six questions that God's asking. The first three are directed to God for what God wants to do. They are seeking the heart of God. He says, God, make your name holy. Bring your kingdom into existence. Make your will manifest on earth. That's the thing you've got to realize when you read through this. The translation that we have doesn't quite capture what they're doing here. These are commands. This is the person imploring God to do these things. When he says, hallowed be your name, what he's saying is, make your name holy. This is not a description of God. It is a request to God. When we pray, we are asking God to make his holiness evident in the world around us. The desire for the holiness of God exists on a bunch of different levels. In the, in the grand scheme of things, there is a sense that when, when God returns in glory to conquer his world, to fix the brokenness of sin, his holiness will cover the world. And his holiness will be made known to everybody. And that's one aspect of what we're trying to do. But we're trying to make God's holiness known in the days that we live, in the place that we live through our lives. We are saying, God, make your holiness and your name great through my actions and the things that I do. Don't sanctify what I'm doing, God. Take me and make me a person that will describe your holiness to the people around me. Make me a picture of what you are so that people can see you in the way that I am. This is especially important for fathers. Our children see us the way we see God. We model for our children what it means to be a good and loving father. And if we are overbearing, if we are angry, if we are abusive, then that's how these people will see God. If we are loving, if we are graceful, if we are long-suffering, then that's how they will see God. We are praying that God would do those things in our community and in our lives that would make his name great, that would hallow his name. The second request is to bring God's kingdom into the world. Again, we got this tension in scripture over and over again. We have Jesus talking about the kingdom of God, a kingdom that is now and a kingdom that is not yet. He talks about the kingdom of God coming into the world. And even though the kingdom of God has come into the world 
things are still terrible. People still die. Sickness still racks the world. There's still injustice. There's still oppression. So we know that there is an aspect of the kingdom that has not come yet. Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, but the world is still screwed up. And so part of us prays for the coming of the kingdom of God so that the oppression and the victimization and all of the bad things in this world will go away. But in the meantime, we pray that God would make his kingdom known where we are. Right? We live as aliens in a, in a strange country. We live in little communities scattered throughout a dark world. And, and what we pray is that God would make each of those communities just a little bit brighter. Right? That he would just bring a couple more people. That these communities would spread and grow. And so that a world that is dark and filled with pain would be able to see the light of God through, through his kingdom rid out in little churches. We pray that God would, would expand his kingdom. That he would spread his word. The final request that we make is that his will would be done. Again, this is the will in, in terms of bringing consummation to the world that God would, that God would overturn the, the principalities and the darkness in the world. But it's more importantly that, that he would make his will known to us so that we can do God's will. That's one of the biggest things that we seek in prayer. We become close to God so that we can know what it is that he wants us to do. So we can do the things that God has for us. But brothers and sisters, if you don't spend time in prayer, you won't know what he wants you to do. We should long for the kingdom of God. We should long for his will and for his glory. We should have a deep desire to see the holiness of God cover the earth the way the water covers the sea. And if you don't have that desire, you may be too comfortable in the world that we live in. It's easy to think of this world as good. It's easy to enjoy cable television and good food and nice houses or good cars a job, the people around us, our family. It's easy to look at these things as good and forget about the fact that there is something so much better beyond the horizon. There is a kingdom that is imminent, that is about to break forth, that is so far beyond everything that we can conceptualize that it makes what we're doing look like sitting in a mud puddle playing with filth. And yet sometimes we can't see it. And so we sit there and say, no, I'm good. I don't need anything more than this. We should pray that our lives exhibit the holiness of God's name. We should pray that we would be transformed and that the world would be transformed with us. We should pray that God would transform us into instruments of his will so that we are his hands and his feet in the world that we live in. 
These are the things that we are supposed to take before God in prayer before we get to any of the other stuff. Before we start talking about organs and issues and God, I want this and God, I want that. Our highest priority should be the glory of God made manifest in our lives. But these other things are important too. And so Christ includes them. See, we should have an intimate relationship with God. We should be praying for the kingdom, his holiness, victory in all aspects of our life. And in the meantime, that God will support us as we are on mission for him. We don't exist for our own sake. We are not a self-licking ice cream cone that exists just to exist. We're on a mission. We have a job. And God has said that he will support us as we are on this mission. He will give us the things that we need to be able to do the things that he's told us to do. And so God is calling his disciples in this last group of, of, of requests to cover their spiritual needs, their physical needs, the things that they need to be able to do the things that he's told them to do. He says, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. See, Christ is calling his disciples to live in total dependence with him. He said, you're on mission for me. You want my holiness. You want the holiness of God. Great. You need to rely on me completely. Later, will Matthew describe it, will describe his, his disciple, telling his disciples not to worry about what comes next, not to worry about tomorrow, not to worry about how they're going to eat or how they're going to clothe, how, how they're going to live. They should rely on God with no worry. Now, I, I want to be clear here. This does not mean that you should not save for retirement. I'm not saying, hey, don't worry about it. Take your 401k and just send it to the church and we'll be cool. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying that to you. You do that, hub. Not me, you know. No. We're supposed to be responsible for our families. We are supposed to be good stewards of the resources that God has given us. Uh, scriptures tells us that if a man doesn't take care of his family, that he has denied the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever. We have to take care of our families. This is part of the role that God's given us in society. What Jesus is telling us is that we should not become consumed by this and worried by this and define ourselves by this. This is what it means when he says, don't fill out up your barns with things that are just going to rot and rust. And look at them and go, my, my, what a, good, what a good job I've done for myself. We shouldn't collect, you know, huge amounts of tractors and stuff. I'm just kidding, that's, that's not... <laughs> We should not define ourselves by the things that we have. We should define ourselves by God's mission for us. And then we should steward the things that he's given us. We should not seek to grasp the things that God has given us and hide them away and put them in a bag and keep them because they make us feel comfortable. While, while the Jews, had, when the Jews had escaped from Egypt, 
And God's leading them through the desert, right? So these are the people of God being led through the desert with the presence of God with them. Okay, this isn't like, well, I wonder if God's here. This is a pillar of fire by night, pillar of smoke by day. No, not ambiguous at all. He feeds them every day with bread that falls from heaven and quail. Okay, so this is about as in, in touch with God as you can get. This is God leading us every day and feeding us every, every day. We're good. And he says, go out, collect what you need for that day, and that's it. Because there'll be some tomorrow morning. But because the Jews were people, just like all of us, there were some people there that were like, man, you know, I know he's a pillar of fire, and I know he like part of the Red Sea, and I know that, you know, so far it's been pretty good, but I don't know how, this is gonna, how long this is going to last. So I'm going to go out there, I'm going to pick up a little extra for me. Yeah, maybe, you know, two or three days worth of manna, I'll put them off to the side, and then when things get bad, I can sell that, and it'll be good. But when they collected up this extra and they put it away, the next morning, when they looked at it, it was filled with maggots, and it had spoiled. Because God was telling them, I am not going to let you amass the blessings that I've given you. You are going to have to learn to rely on me. We should not see the wealth that God has given us as security. We should trust in him to take care of us every day for that day. And then Christ moves on from that. He says, you know what? Yeah, he's going to take care of you physically, but he's going to take care of you spiritually. And so Christ tells them to pray that they would be delivered from the temptation of the evil one. He says, you need to pray to God that God will protect you from the devil here's a reality guys the devil exists right he's not a not a, a dude in a in like a red spandex with a with a pitchfork you know he's not he's not the naughty devil from halloween parties right no he's real he exists he's a real person he hates god and he hates you he is not god's equal Right? We get this image of the devil and God locked into this contest and they're, they're duking it out and we're not really sure which one's going to win. That's not the way it works. God is in complete control. God wins. We've read the end of the book. We know how it goes. Right? God wins. The devil cannot do anything to you that God does not let him do. Over and over and over again in Scripture, we see the devil's method. What he does is he tempts you to sin. And when you sin, he accuses you before God. That's what Satan means. It is Hebrew for hasatan, which means the accuser. He's the prosecuting attorney, but he's like a corrupt, twisted prosecuting attorney that like fakes the evidence and, 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 and entraps you. And so he brings you before the court of God and says, this is your creation, God. He's screwed up. Look what he did. He screwed up again. Ha, ha, ha. In fact, at the time of Jesus, there was a doctor named Luke. And Luke went through and, 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 and got all of these recollections of the people about what Jesus did. And he put them in a book. And in this book, we have this really disturbing image where, where all of the disciples are sitting there talking about who's going to be the best and who's going to be the worst. And Jesus pulls Peter aside and says, Peter, I'm telling you, Satan has asked God to sift you like wheat, to tempt you. And Peter's response is not, oh, God, give me some help so I can deal with this. His response is, 
Not me. I'm Peter. Not going to get me. I'll never leave you. I'll go to jail with you, and I'll die with you. And not 24 hours later, he has rejected Christ three times, blasphemed, and, and run away. The, the, the story ends well, because it, it ends with Peter in tears at Christ's feet, repenting and being accepted. But the message is clear. We don't resist the devil on our own power. We don't resist the devil because we're tough or because we're awesome or because we're big bad guy or because we're intrinsically good. The only way that we resist the devil is through prayer to God. Because ultimately, we're going to screw up. We're going to succumb to temptation. We're going to mess up. And when we do, we've got to come to God and we've got to ask him for forgiveness. And so the final thing that Jesus tells them to do is they need to ask God for forgiveness. They need to come to him and say, you know what, these are the things that I did. These are the places that I was screwed up and a knucklehead and you've got to help me. You've got to forgive me for this. And it says that we will be forgiven to the degree that we have forgiven other people around us. We are to be people that have been forgiven much and who forgive much. We are to live our lives in total submission to the God who loved us and died for us. We have to submit to him for our daily needs. We have to submit to him for resistance against evil. We have to submit to him for forgiveness for the things that we've screwed up. We are supposed to live in total submission. If that doesn't sound attractive to you, I'm really sorry. There's plenty of places you can go that will teach you how to be super successful. But they're not Christian. Because being a Christian means understanding that you are where you are because Christ loved you, not because of anything important that you've done. So I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you to spend time in prayer. I want to challenge you to set aside deliberate time during the day to pray to God. And some of you will tell me, oh, I pray every day. I pray all the time. That's great. I don't want you to stop praying all the time. But I want you to take some time, set it aside for deliberate, specific, alone time with you and God. I want you to imagine what it would be like if you tried to develop a friendship with a person and every time you sat down to have a conversation with them, you were looking over here or looking over there or looking at your watch or playing with your phone or watching the TV, you wouldn't be able to develop any depth. So I want you to spend some time with the TV off, some time by yourself. If you're a parent, that's ridiculously hard. Trust me, I know. Seems like as soon as, I, as soon as my eyes open, my son hears my breathing and gets out of bed. Okay? You have to figure out how to stake that time off for yourself. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's earlier in the morning. 
Maybe it's right before you go to bed. But I want you to take at least 15 minutes and set them aside to talk to God. Because if you don't talk to God, you don't have a relationship with God. And if you don't have a relationship with God, I've got to question some things about you. If you can go 40 years as a Christian without ever talking to God and without, ever, him ever, without you ever hearing him talk to you, you've got to ask yourself some questions about your relationship with him. There may be some issues that you need to deal with. I want you to address your Heavenly Father in normal language. If you don't speak that way to your brother-in-law or the people at work, don't talk that way to God. And I don't want you to use the word thou or thee or thither. Okay? Unless you use them in normal language. If you use them in normal language, you're cool. I want you to spend some time seeking his will for your life. I want you to seek holiness for your life. I want you to seek him, his will for how you're going to bring his kingdom out in the place that you are, the place that you work, the place that you live. How can you make your house like the kingdom of God? Maybe that's a start. How do you make your house like the kingdom of God? I want you to seek his will for your life. Big things and small things. And then I want you to shut up and listen. I want you to be quiet and listen to God. After you know what God wants you to do, then I want you to start praying for the things in your life. I want you to pray for deliverance from temptation. I want you to pray, pray for the strength to forgive the people in your life who've wronged you and to pray that God will forgive you. And I want you to pray that God will give you what you need to live. But before you know what you need, you've got to seek what God has for you to do. Above all these things, I want you to pray. And if you don't know Christ, if you don't have a relationship with him, if you haven't prayed to him in 40 years, I want you to sit down and pray and ask God to enter your life, to move in your life. If you've never felt his forgiveness in your life, I want you to pray for that. We have a God who loves us and who wants a relationship with us. And if we will just go to him, we can do that. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. If you have never prayed to receive God into your life, if you don't have a relationship with him now, please come forward and we will pray with you. We, we will teach you how to do this. We will match you up with a mentor who can disciple you, who can teach you how to have a relationship with God. But come forward because this is a basic life skill. This is something that you have to do to be able to thrive as a Christian. Maybe, maybe you've been a Christian and, and, and you just your prayer life is bad and you just don't know how to do it. I would encourage you to come forward and we'll pray together. Come to Sunday school. Come to Wednesday night. We'll talk through these things. But you have to start working on your relationship with God. And if it's not important to you, then you don't have one. And you have other issues. Above all, pray. Please bow your heads with me. Dear Jesus, God, we are sorry that we have not come to you, that we have not prayed to you, that we have neglected you and paid attention to everything else. 
Lord, I, I ask that you forgive us for making you an afterthought. Something that we tack on at the end of our day when we have nothing left or something that we don't do at all. Lord, I ask that you would be real to us, that you would show us who you are, that you would come into our lives, that you would speak with clear language to us, that we would clearly know what you have for us to do. And God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would fall on this place, that you would light us on fire and give us a desire to know you. God, I ask these things in your holy name. Amen.